This is David Rovix, and you are tuned to 3CR, 8.55 a.m., Melbourne, Australia. Step three is finding there's a tactic when everyone believes it could be true. That if all the people work collectively, there just might be something we can do, and everything can change. Beyond Zero is a not-for-profit research and education organisation. We design blueprints for a zero-emissions economy. As climate change becomes more apparent, leaders will use these well-researched plans that show a transition is possible from a 19th-century fossil fuel-based economy with its climate-changing emissions to a zero-emissions 21st century. Check out our website for reports on zero-emissions energy, zero-emissions buildings and zero-emissions high-speed rail. Podcasts of our talks with a who's who of climate change action are all available at Beyond Zero Emissions. If you have some ideas for this show, contact us at radio team at beyondzeroemissions.org. Good afternoon. My name is Erin Jones and I'm the host today of the Beyond Zero Emissions radio show on 855 AM 3CR Community Radio. It's nice to be back. It's my first show of 2018 and we're going to be talking about an issue that uh, I think is pretty important. The federal government has brought out the National Energy Guarantee in an effort to fill the void that is energy policy from a federal level. Uh, It's problematic um, to say the least, certainly some aspects of it um, look to actually inhibit some of the the good work that's been done, particularly at a state level in terms of targets. Um, this National Energy Guarantee looks to be propping up ageing infrastructure and favour the large incumbents. So there are some real issues about it. So we're going to talk to a couple of people about that today. Um, the first we're going to hear from is Nikki Ison. Nikki is the one of the founding um, directors of the Community Power Agency and she is also part of a collective group who have put together a submission around the um, National Energy Guarantee. There's been very limited community consultation for this project, uh, which is pretty disappointing because the electricity system is something that pretty much everyone in the country has some sort of involvement with. Anyone who's using mains power, which is, I would say, the absolute vast majority of the population, uh, should be concerned about the implications for this national policy around energy and the implications it has for client for climate as well. So it's great to be back on the radio um, and I look forward to um, spending the next hour with you and we're going to go straight away to chatting earlier, the chat earlier that I had with Nikki Ison. Listeners, we've got Nikki Ison on the line today, and Nikki is one of the founding directors of the Community Power Agency. Welcome, Nikki. Hello, Erin. Nice to be with you. Yeah, look, it's a really important issue that we're talking about today, the um, National Energy Guarantee, which um, is a pretty interesting um, proposition, which uh, does not actually look like it does anything that is the intended purpose um, but what we're going to specifically talk about today is um, the discussion paper that was that was put up by um, by the government closed for submissions yesterday, and the um, your organisation, which is part of a broader network of the Climate Action Network Alliance, put together a um, a bit of a submission to that. And we really just would like to have a bit of a chat to you about what that submission entailed and what the general feeling of what the NEG will and won't achieve really is. Absolutely. Um, I suppose uh, I would be keen to talk about the bigger picture thinking behind that submission um, so we can put it into some context. So, and then to, uh, then I'd be very keen to talk about you know the submission and we, what we've done is uh, create a set of tests for the NEG and uh, for the National Energy Guarantee. 
short name Neg. Uh, yeah, and talk, um, and then I begin to talk you through and your listeners through, you know, what are these tests and why we're we're doing that. Yeah, that sounds perfect because, you know, we've had a lot of these these acronyms um, thrown around in this latest one, the National Energy Guarantee. Um, it's really. Uh, you know, it's an incredibly important document and has massive implications not only today but, but going forward as well if it gets up in its current form. So let's get the bigger context picture first. Absolutely. Okay, so well, I think the, the important thing to say is you know, energy and climate policy has for more than a decade been alphabet soup. There's been so many different policies put forward, the CPRS, the RET, the Clean Energy Target and EIS, an ETS, the CET, the Clean Energy Future Package, you know, all of these different um, terms have been bandied around at one time or another in the last decade. And really what all of them have tried to do or had, or in the case of the actual renewable energy target, the RET, have actually done, is they've put, a, they've put in place a policy mechanism that has required either the generators of electricity or uh, the retailers of electricity. In, in many cases, they're one and the same and are called mm. the gentailers. Um, to and the big three there for our listeners, we're really talking about AGL, Origin and Energy Australia, correct? Yeah, absolutely. They're the big three gentailers. They're not the only gentailers. PowerShop and Meridian are a gentailer. Snowy Hydro and Red Energy are a gentailer. Um, but, you know, mo most of the actors, the big actors in the energy space, there's the big three that you've just mentioned, but most of them that have both a generation and a retail arm these days. And what all of these mechanisms have tried to do or been proposed to do is, is require or um, provide a price signal for those actors, retailers or generators, to invest in clean energy. Mm. either by putting a price on carbon, making carbon tradable, or requiring them to uh, purchase certificates associated with renewable energy, or in the case of the NEG, contract for a certain amount of low emissions energy. Um, or electricity, let's be really specific. Um, and... You know, the thinking a decade to two decades ago was that we needed economy-wide solutions that um, internalised this externality of carbon pollution and really put a cost on it. And you know, there is no doubt that carbon pollution is one of the biggest externalities in the world and it's you know, frying our planet. The thing is... We haven't done those mechanisms particularly well. Uh, the RET is the one exception, but emissions trading schemes around the world have been questionable as to their success because they're so complex and they're so easily gamed by large energy companies and vested interests. And so actually where you've seen climate, climate and um, clean energy policy be successful, they've actually taken a more nuanced approach, not a just there's a silver bullet emissions trading scheme or a silver bullet neg and it's going to do everything, because it doesn't. Um, so what we've been thinking about is going, well, particularly in an age where clean energy is now cheaper to build than dirty fossil fuels, that there are a few different levers available to us. So yes, there's this lever of a central policy mechanism that requires a gen tailor to do something, and that's what the neg is. You know, that's what it's intended to be, and that's what the RET has been, and the RET has done by far and away the heavy lifting on transitioning us to clean energy so far. Um, but it's all but built out now, and we need something to replace it. The question is, do you know, the best option to my mind would be just extend the renewable energy target. Mm, so for our listeners, you know, you said that the renewable energy target has really um, you know, done the hard work. What's, when does that window close? Just make that clear to our listeners when the RET kind of becomes. So the renewable energy target is a secondary market for renewable energy certificates. And that certificate market will continue until 2030. But the requirement on gen retailers to purchase those certificates um, increases until 2020 and then remains flat after that. So there's no, it doesn't stimulate new builds. 
But the thing is, is that the, by the middle of this year, there should, or at the latest, the end of this year, there should be enough renewable energy built to meet the 33,000 gigawatt hours of electricity that sits under the renewable energy target. So, so really, after that, it loses its potency as it a lead lever. Its it loses what it's been doing around driving the deployment of renewables in Australia. Mm. So that's where this you know, broad concern from industry and from investors is coming from when the the, the neg no when the RET the renewable energy target runs out does renewable energy investment fall off a cliff and do we need something to replace it? In comes the neg uh, best a third or fourth rate thought bubble from mm. the Energy Security Board and probably mainly from the Australian Energy Market Commission um, that is meant to appease the hard right of the coalition government uh, and back the states into a corner about doing something. All the while, states are doing stuff. Yeah, they and are it, putting it, in place their own policies. And, and that's pretty depressing and, and that's something that I've been focusing on, particularly last year on this radio show, is the action that's happening at a state and local level, and there's great activity happening at that level, but this has the potential to just cut that off at the knees. Yeah, and I think it's really, I, I was talking about the different levers a little bit earlier that we have available to us to deploy clean energy, and I think it'd be useful, I think it's a useful framework. So some kind of um, policy that requires gen, gen tailors to do something is one lever. Another lever is state uh, or federal government action directly. They could purchase for their own needs. They can do tenders like reverse auctions that mm. um, is happening Victoria in Victoria, Queensland, Queensland mm. ACT pioneered it. Yep. It's also happening all around the world. Also, you know, governments could get back into the energy game and do public ownership. And mm. the Queensland government committed to doing something like that in its in its election policy around clean co. Uh, so, you know, that's one lever, government action. The next, the third lever is large energy users. We've seen Telstra and Sun Metals and Wyala Steel all commit to um, purchasing large amounts of renewable energy. Um, they can and should do more of that, and not just renewables, but also energy efficiency and switching away from gas to clean energy and, and a whole range of things. And then finally, there's all the community action. There's what households, 1.8 million households have gone to solar. There's more than 90 community energy groups across the country. Uh, there's councils are doing amazing work and mm. small businesses are really going to solar in droves now. So that's... You know, and it makes sense. I mean, from a purely yeah. market perspective... I mean, that's the thing that's, I think we've seen more and more is, you know, the philosophical argument's kind of out the window because the market economics just makes sense to go down the renewables path. Exactly. And so this need for some kind of silver bullet, overarching, all-encompassing central policy mechanism is much reduced because you've got these other three levers and they're going. Mm. People, because the economics make sense um, and because... People want to as well. They want to take that control. Uh, they want to have more say in their energy future, um, both businesses, communities and households um, and governments at all different levels as well. So you know, there's, there's a huge wealth of activity. So let's come back to the NEG and this submission that uh, I've been part of pulling together. Um, what we see with the NEG is an attempt to stymie and to slow down the deployment of clean energy. Mm. And one of the ways that they're doing that is by saying, well, the federal government has set a 20, uh, 6 to 28% emissions reduction target, and we're just going to apply that uniformly to every sector. So the emissions reduction from electricity will be 26 to 28%, um, which doesn't equate to much more renewables than we already have. Mm. Um, a, a little bit more, and it's certainly lower than business as usual. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things, you know, we are in a period of conflict around this. This conflict uh, politically has been going on for a decade now and is not going to finish anytime soon because there are powerful vested interests and there are powerful uh, politicians who don't want to see Australia or the world take action on climate change and don't want to see us move to, to clean renewable energy. 
Feeling shortchanged by all the doom and gloom of climate change and want to help? Beyond Zero Emissions is an internationally recognised climate solutions think tank that is focused on solutions, not problems. At VZE, we have a blueprint to help Australia become a thriving zero emissions economy, but we are dependent on public donations, so we need your help. To donate or find out more information, head to bze.org.au. That's bze.org.au. And you're on the Beyond Zero Emissions radio show on 3CR, 855 AM in Melbourne. And we'll go back to our discussion with Nikki Ison from the Community Power Agency. It's just such a negative policy, uh, you know, potentially driving investment that could happen in Australia offshore. It's, it doesn't achieve any targets. It doesn't bring down the cost of power. It props up ageing infrastructure. It just hasn't got any leg. It's, it's, it's... Well, I think it's important to go that there are... that to notice that, you know, six months ago there was agreement from the business sector, the social sector, the environment sector that we needed something. And then the NEG got proposed and we saw a split between those who are saying something is better than nothing and those that are saying that, no, this something is worse than nothing. And so what we've tried to do is forge a middle path which is to say it doesn't matter whether you've got a NEG, an extended renewable energy target, an emissions intensity scene, a clean energy target. What we care about are the outcomes. Mm. We don't care, like the policy detail is important, but most people aren't going to engage with it. What we care about are the outcomes. And so that's why we've created a set of tests. And so the three outcomes that we want to see, um, we've proposed in this submission, is that this any type of policy mechanism like the NEG enables the electricity sector to lead the way in cutting climate pollution consistent with Australia's Paris commitment to 1.5 to 2 degrees of warming. Secondly, it speeds up the replacement of polluting coal power with clean energy and thirdly, it distributes the benefits and costs of the policy fairly without handing windfall gain or more market power to big energy companies that already dominate the market. They all sound pretty reasonable, right? Mm. Yep. We'll do. Yeah, so we think that those are reasonable, that state governments come out, come out and say this is what we think any kind of policy mechanism should achieve. We think that farmers could say that. We think that industry should be able to say, yes, these are some reasonable outcomes of a policy like a, a, um, a NEG. So then what we've, what we've asked is a series of questions, and these are types of questions we hope that BZE radio listeners will be able to ask themselves. So, first question, will the construction of clean energy in Australia speed up or slow down as a result of this policy? And as proposed um, in the current consultation paper, it will definitely slow down. Mm. So it doesn't meet that test. Mm. The second one is, is the policy capable of being scaled up to ensure pollution is cut in line with Paris? and so some subtests around that is, does it enable state government policies to be additional or not? And it doesn't at the moment. No. So it fails on that test. And, you know, the states have really stepped up and, and um, put great... I mean, pretty much every state, bar, I think, WA and the Northern Territory, have got, you know, starting to get a pretty strong framework in place. So it, it kind of cut, cuts them off... Um, and, and doing what they were on track to achieve. Absolutely. So you know, one of the things that we want to do with these tests is give more power to the arms of the states because at the moment they're in a bit of a political bind because all of the commentators are coming out and saying, will you compromise for the betterment of Australia and sign up to this third-rate policy solution? Instead, what we want to be getting our commentators and media personalities and everyone across Australia to be asking, is this a reasonable policy? Will it drive the outcomes that are better for Australian businesses, Australian households and the climate? 
So, yeah, and then we've got some more tests. I don't need to go through them all. They'll be available online. But um, you know, that's the strat strategic thinking that we're trying to push forward, that is to go, yes, this neg is a dog's breakfast, but there's politics to consider and how do we not just win the battle but win the war. Now... Uh, we'll give. Uh, is this document available for the public? Can they go on um, the community agency, community power agency website, or where can if someone wants to kind of delve into a bit more detail? Is that a document that they can um, read at their own uh, their own discretion? Yeah. So next week uh, we we put it in as a submission uh, yesterday. Uh, we will be putting it on our website towards the end of next week. We're just wanting to get a couple more organisations signed up before yeah. then. Um, so yeah, uh, should look on cpagency.net. Uh, sorry, cpagency.org.au forward slash resources, mm-hmm. uh, and under the submissions categories, uh, this submission um, should be on there uh, sometime towards the end of next week. Okay, so for someone out there that is listening to this and thinks this just sounds a nonsense, you know, the submissions closed yesterday. What can they do? to kind of make their voice heard just out there? You know, someone, Joe Public, um, you know, is it letters to the editor, ringing talkback radio? What do you think is going to get... And, and also, what then is going to be the, the, the government policy process that, that the NEG is, is going to go through post these submissions being received? In terms of the government policy process, what happens from here is I assume they'll digest the submissions, ignore some, take on board others, as they always do, and then a presentation will be made to the COAG Energy Council, I think on the 22nd of April, so a bit over a month away. Mm -hmm. My understanding is that there will then be more work done and it will go to another COAG Energy Council meeting in August. Mm -hmm. So this isn't going fast anytime soon. Um, It's a thing that's going to drag on. I think what I'd be saying to your listeners is email or contact your, your state energy minister and express your disgust or your your concerns at the National uh, Energy Guarantee. Mm-hmm. That would be the first thing. And the second thing is I would get involved in campaigns to repower the country, be it in your community, at your state or federally. Uh, I think that engaging and going too much down the rabbit hole of the neg puts us on mm-hmm. our opponent's turf. And I think that we have a much more exciting message to tell people, which is that clean energy creates a better life for everyone. But we're getting ripped off by some large energy consumers, uh, companies, I mean, uh, and the politicians that are in their pockets. But we can take that control, um, and we are, and so we should get on with it by repowering our communities because it's actually easier than we think, and the policy solutions that we'll unlock community energy, household energy, large business, clean energy are there and at our fingertips um, and we shouldn't let things like the neg slow us down or hold us back. Yeah, and and that's the frustrating thing in this space is it's got nothing to do with having technical solutions. The solutions are there, the solutions are working, um, the work that's happening at a, at a state and local level is, is great and really, um, you know, putting this federal policy up in its current format is just a backward step. And like you say, it's just advantaging a a very small handful of of large operators and isn't satisfying all, um, sorry, pretty much any of those sort of objectives around actually reducing energy pricing and or um, the climate goals that we need to to work towards rapidly. Um, I think one of the things to think about is you know, what we want to do with the NEG is either turn it into something that's part of a bigger suite of, you know, turn it into something that isn't uh, a backward step that plays a small but useful role or we want to make sure that it's um, very reasonable to reject it and to be replaced with things that are actually going to do the job. Mm, exactly. And, and I think, you know, People may have a little bit of, of fatigue around, um, you know, energy 
policy and been on the news and I mean it's something you know five ten years ago you know energy policy wasn't wasn't on the six o'clock news and now it's no. it's there kind of every other day um, but needing to understand that this document as it stands is potentially a very dangerous step in the wrong direction yeah, um, it, as and, it stands it's a big regressive step that will hold back the deployment of clean energy and um, Australia's climate action uh, and so we can't let that happen we have to do you know what it takes but I think one of the things that it takes is trying to shift the story and talk about the solutions that we do want and not spending all of our time getting bogged down in a policy minutiae of uh, mm. a policy that could work but is unlikely to yeah exactly Okay, well, look, thanks, Nikki. We really appreciate your time today and for coordinating the submission. Um, and certainly our listeners, um, you know, know that this is not something, um, you know, the country can move forward, we can have surety, the, the, all the market forces are there to move um, towards renewables and, and reliable, cheap, clean energy. Uh, we just need to keep that political pressure on. Yes, Absolutely. Anyway, we'll look forward to keeping in touch with you on this issue and um, it is an important one to um, keep moving forward on. So thanks very much for your contribution today and we'll look forward to chatting again. No worries. Have a good day. Thanks. Hi, I'm Kim Salmon. I'd like to have a quick word about uh, public radio, particularly 3CR. The thing about public radio is that it's more open than the more formatted types of radio to what's going on around it. So when you listen to it, you're more likely to hear a reflection of real life. And 3CR being in the heart of Smith Street, Collingwood, is a particularly good example of what I'm talking about. If you'd like to uh, subscribe, the number is 94198377. You've been listening. So, listeners, that was Nikki Ison that, um, from the Community Power Agency. And um, I spoke earlier today to Greg Bourne from the Climate Council about the uh, report that they put out on Wednesday last week as a response to the NEG also. And so now we'll have a listen to our chat that we had earlier today with Greg Bourne. Listeners, you are on the BZE 3CR Radio on the show today. We're very pleased to have Greg Bourne with us. Welcome, Greg. Hi there. How are you, Aaron? Good, thanks. Now, listeners, if you don't know, Greg Bourne is one of the Climate Council councillors. He's got a wealth of experience in energy policy. Uh, he was the CEO of WWF Australia for six years and later a non executive director of Carnegie Wave Energy, which is based in WA and doing some really interesting things. He's also the former chair of the Australian Renewable Energy Agency, so we're really pleased to have him on. And what we're going to talk about today is the report that um, the Climate Council put out just very recently, I think it was um, on Wednesday last week, Clean and Reliable Power, a Roadmap to a Renewable Future. And really this is looking at um, a response to the National Energy Guarantee, which is possibly a bit of a misnomer, but we're going to dive into the detail with Greg shortly. But really interesting um, reading and uh, you know a, a really thorough um, analysis. And one of the things that I thought was really interesting, and, and um, I mean there was there was a number of things, but one of the things to keep in mind when thinking about the the current um, electricity network is that by 2040, 70% of the current coal-fired power stations in the national energy market will be 50 years or older. So, you know, we're really needing to make a transition that's smooth and equitable um, and has some thought put into it. But I don't think that's an accurate description of the NEG. What do you think, Greg? Oh, look, uh, definitely not. Um, 
the way the neg has come out is you could almost say that it is a um, a politically expedient way forward, um, but not actually uh, driving a direction. That's part of the thing. It's really directionless. It is talking about uh, reliability. It talks a little bit about uh, the climate requirement, but it doesn't say anything about where we're going as a nation with regard to climate change. It's just... Um, Politically expedient, perhaps, is the best way to put it. Yeah. So just to give our listeners a little bit of context, I mean, in 2017, there seemed to be an unprecedented um, public and media focus on energy, which, you know, if we go back 10 years, energy wasn't on the 6 o'clock news, and now it is, you know, almost every other night. So, I mean, that gives us a little bit of a little bit of context, but... Who are behind? Who are the parties behind the the neg? We talk about the Energy Security Board. Can you kind of give us a a, a context of of who they are and and how they kind of brought this somewhat um, political policy together? Yeah, look, I, I think probably it's, it's worthwhile sort of going back a little bit to you know probably around about um, two thousand, just very briefly, where um, you know the coalition led by John Howard basically was saying. You know, climate change isn't real. Um, and then they had to say it was a bit real and had to do a little bit. But it's always been trying to do almost as um, little as possible. We've seen then obviously the, uh, the the carbon pollution reduction scheme almost come, but then go at the last minute. We've seen emissions trading. We've seen the so-called carbon tax and so on. And in each case, what we've seen is um, a sort of a trial of, you know, can we do something about climate? And more and more, it's can we do something about climate without actually talking about doing something about climate. Into this, you know, sort of last 18 years has been a situation where anyone who is investing, investing in big stuff, is in a bit of a quandary. You know, do I invest in a coal-fired power station? Do I do one with carbon capture and storage? Uh, you know, do I go into this renewables world? Is it going to be any good? Uh, what do I do? And if in doubt... The wise investor um, milks what the company actually has for all it's worth and tries to work out which way the future is going. And they're not going to make dumb investments. So we've got to a position here now where, yes, part of the, the grid, in a sense, has been falling over. The reliability has been going down. There's no doubt about that. Um, but it is absolutely recoverable. And even more so were it to be given direction of where we are going as a nation with regard to um, the, the supply of energy going forward. And into that, of course, um, came the creation of the Energy Security Board, almost as a sort of a, um, a little bit of a thought bubble, you might say, uh, in, in the sense of trying to get some neutral group put together, if you can call it a neutral group put together, to try and find out, can we get a, a secure way forward, an affordable way forward, and one which actually does something about climate as well? Um, good people trying to do an incredibly hard job in an awfully political situation. Mm, yeah, we kind of need the politics to get out of the way because, um, I mean, we'll probably get into it a little bit further, but in some ways, you know, reading through this, that almost be, you know, be better off to not do anything with some of the um, potential outcomes if this policy or goes through to or to becoming policy beyond where it is now. Certainly on this show, we've done a lot of um, focus on uh, state and local initiatives, and there are some great things happening at a local government, state government level. Um, and in lots of ways, what we're looking at here will actually cut those things off at the knees potentially. So it's it's um it's a bit of a worry. But yeah, look, potentially that that is the case. But I'm actually um, a, a, an optimist, um, and part of the reason I'm I'm optimistic uh, with regard to it is that in the end, you know, jobs are created in states or lost in states. Uh, manufacturing, engineering is created in states. Um, it doesn't actually happen in Canberra. Um, you know, local government is where things happen on the ground to to real people. You know, not not in not in Canberra, and and indeed the climate change impacts are going to occur in local councils, on coastlines, you know, in the high plains. It's it's going to occur locally, and so 
it's almost as if the, the ground-up power is greater than the top-down um, grey blanket, wet blanket almost as it is. And so I think the initiatives of the states, you know, saying that they're going to try and be um, net zero emissions by 2050 is a place where one could actually start saying, well, that's where the optimists are taking us. That's where uh, we'll start to see real people thinking about. And indeed, on a worldwide basis, uh, under the Paris Accord, people are trying to aim for the two degrees and then one and a half degree um, uh, maximization, as it were, of, of temperature rise, yeah. making that the maximum. So I'm a, I'm a bit optimistic, and but you know the government could make things go so much more smoothly if only they would recognise that we are in this extraordinary transition that must go ahead towards renewable energy storage uh, and zero emissions technologies. Yeah. So so going then to the key findings that are in this report and what we've just been speaking about, um, I'm glad that you're, you're an optimist and I certainly hope that is the way that we go because um, it is at that you know local state level that things are happening. But the potential to to hamper those existing targets um, and those um, you know milestones that states have put in place um, is, is still a risk under under this proposal, the the NEG. Uh, yes, look, it, it is, and th- there's a lot of work to be done with regard to the NEG to see how it will work. And you can see uh, from the press that uh, you know large retailers are not particularly happy about it. Small retailers are not particularly happy about it. Generators are not particularly happy about it. Uh, the ASX is not particularly happy about it. Quite a few people really are not particularly happy about it for sort of lack of clarity of, of what is um, what is actually going to happen and how things are going to drive forward. The, 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 the way I look at it is that um, any of the big investors, the really big investors, particularly the three gen tailors, the three big gen tailors, um, they look overseas. They look beyond any one government. They know that between now and uh, uh, 2030, for example, you know, we, we will have quite a few more governments. They come and they go. Mm. And yet they've got to invest through that cycle. And so looking at the world technology of renewables, storage, the information technology, communications technology, which goes with it, uh, and indeed the technology which goes into uh, the, the, the accounting side of things, which is very, very important, obviously, in the trading side, um, they can see that the world is moving very fast towards renewable storage and other ancillary type services. That's the way it's going to go. So mm. they will invest in that direction. Um, obviously, they have um, large coal-fired power stations going on, and logically, they will uh, you know, gain the, the profitability out of those for as long as they can, but they won't go further than it's safe. They absolutely won't do that. And therefore, we can see with AGL, for example, and Liddell, They've said, no, this is the line, 2022, it's shutting down, and they're laying their bets on a renewable future. So the big investors, the very big ones, will, I think, invest for the future. It would be nice for them if they had a bit more clarity from the federal government. For smaller but really entrepreneurial companies, the entrepreneurial companies will find it a bit more difficult, but they are entrepreneurs, so they will find a way around and so it becomes some of the middle companies and the middle retail companies um, that actually begin to have more difficulty. They can't see or they can't work and invest that sort of 20-year-ahead cycle. They've got to be looking at their current book. They've got to be looking at what's one year ahead, two years ahead, and three years ahead. It has the potential to be messy, um, but there are possibilities that the, with the feedback that's been going through, uh, maybe they will pull a rabbit out of the hat, but I'd like to see the color of the rabbit first. I mean, because one of the issues there, and and I do agree with you to a large extent, that, you know, the market is driving this. The fact is, you know, it's a little bit like Trump. No one's going to go back to, um, yes, we've got these existing fossil fuel plants, but the fact is they don't make sense. And economically, every day we go forward, they make less and less sense. But, you know, there still seems to be... Um, not a lot of incentive for particularly those big three that are, have a great deal of vertical integration with you know generation and retail, who actually can benefit from some of those you know price spikes and um, you know will keep running out those um, you know larger plants because there's not a lot of incentive for them to transition. Yeah, look, apart from the fact that when you um, 
when you can begin to see the end of a fossil fuel plant's life, you've either got to make a choice of uh, shutting it completely and doing the remediation, which is expensive, or it's not usually just a, um, uh, a Band-Aid job. It's usually a total refurbishment if you really want to go further. Now, you're then looking at, you know, billions of dollars. Do you invest billions of dollars in something which the, the world is signaling is on its way out, whether or not the federal government does, or do you invest in something else? All this time, the renewable energy technologies and the storage technologies and all the other te ancillary technologies I've talked about earlier um, are coming down in price and are getting getting stronger. So, yes, they will um, they will they will run them, uh, but I don't think they will invest in anything. I actually do not think that we will see another coal-fired power station built by a commercial concern in Australia. I just don't see that happening. Um, that's a good thing, a very good thing, obviously. Yeah. But the absent the federal government um, giving a really strong lead on a, a really fast response to climate change and emissions, then in essence, all of the companies, big and small, all of the consumers, big and small, have to muddle through and try and work out what is the best way forward. But the smart money is going to renewables, the smart money is going to storage. And even at the residential level, you know, people are just so, if you'll excuse me, pissed off that they're actually beginning to put more solar panels on, putting more storage in. And I think that will continue as long as there is no direction, no clear direction coming from federal government. Yeah. And, I, you know, they've made themselves irrelevant in lots of ways because, um, as you say, whether it's at a domestic level, um, you know, people putting storage, solar and storage, and we're going to see... Um, you know, as the economies of scale come out, it's like any technology, um, those early adopters, you know, paid a premium, but that will get cheaper and cheaper um, more and more quickly. So, you know, they're kind of fighting a losing battle um, and it's, you know, going to be frustrating. Well, it's going to be good to finally see these frustrations move out of the way and that, that will happen. Uh, it's just, you know, we're mucking around with, with these kind of, as you say, thought bubbles and this... Um, Neg proposal, which doesn't seem to have um, a whole lot of validity around it. Um, we don't see, you know, we see potentially derailment of um, existing or potential or uncertainty for investment. You know, it's not really making any inroads um, into emissions reduction, which is what we critically need. Um, and then you talk a fair bit in the report about the misdiagnosis of reliability, and the Australian grid's actually um, very reliable. And I suppose this was one of the frustrations, certainly last year, with the, the storms in South Australia for, for a lot of our listeners who are fairly informed around these, these topics. Uh, it doesn't matter what your generation method is. If a, if a whole transmission line's gone down, the power's not going to get through, isn't it? And, and that was... That was one of the really frustrating things is, is the political point scoring that was going on around that, which was, um, you know, really kind yeah. of below the belt. Yeah, it's funny, you know, perhaps there's frustration in uh, some quarters that things didn't fall down this summer, but uh, that's mm. the, when the, the boots on the other foot. You're listening to 3CR Radio. And you're on the Beyond Zero Emissions show. My name is Erin Jones, and we're listening to an interview that was conducted earlier today with Greg Bourne from the Climate Council. And we'll just go into part two of that interview. But perhaps something, again, for you know, Beyond Zero Emissions. Uh, now with, with the NEG, it is predicated on the electricity sector taking only a, uh, a 26% reduction pathway out to 2030. Uh, it's actually already uh, behind that. It's just nowhere near making that. Um, if, if that were the case, and we know that the energy sector will logically have to pull a lot more of the weight than many of the other sectors, effectively what it means is that the, the agricultural mm -hmm. sector is going to have to pick up the yeah. slack. The transport sector is going to pick up the slack. The waste sector, the fugitive emissions sector is going to... Um, pick up the slack. Uh, no one has been talking really about, hey guys, how about the agricultural sector picking up all of the electricity sector slack or the mining sector doing it or etc. Um, so behind all this is basically we're going to do 
the slowest pathways we possibly can. We're going to effectively insulate the electricity industry out till 2030. We'll have a Paris commitment which will come in in uh, 2025, which will take us down probably from our pretty derisable targets we've got as Australia. Um, and again, with the electricity industry insulated, logically, the transport sector, the agricultural sector, the other sectors have got to pick up the slack and actually pull some weight. That's not happening. And perhaps that's not being talked about because it's convenient for it not to be talked about. But it becomes very important because if we find that we are going down the slowest possible path on the electricity sector, all the ones which actually can move faster and cheaper uh, and, 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 and you know, generally more effectively than some of the other sectors, uh, we are going to be so far off our targets when it comes to 2030. Yeah. And, you know, there's just no logic in that, is there? I mean, the fact is that the electricity sector um, can more easily and more cheaply make these cuts and cut emissions whilst dropping prices. Um, yeah, look, absolutely right. In the transport sector, you know, again, you know, we, we don't even have... Um, you know, CO2 emission standards, you know, for our vehicle fleet. And when we do buy a vehicle, you know, it's probably going to last in our country because of this, it's basically, you know, we're, we're nice and hot, we're nice and dry, we don't rust as much as some of the other countries which have got snow, ice and salt on the roads and so on. You know, you buy a, buy a new car, it's going to be around in 20 years' time. Mm. Um, so the capital stock turnover issue for the transport sector is such that every year that you delay, you just lock in the impossibility of moving fast. Uh, and that's a problem. Yeah. And and look, I mean, you know, it will be interesting in the next couple of years. Hopefully um, we will start to see a lot more um, vehicle availability and, and transition. But as you say, every year that that doesn't happen, um, there's more, more cars brought into the fleet that uh, are still the internal combustion engines. And so we're locked into that for for that much longer. So, and certainly the work that um, BZD's done around um, agriculture, not an easy sector to tackle um, no, by any means. So, you know, this, this electricity is kind of a low-hanging fruit, isn't it? Um, you know, we've got proven technologies. Uh, that's That hasn't been the issue. It's been about political and social will back since, you know, BZE first put out our stationary energy plan, which showed how Australia could transition within a much shorter time frame. It, it's not about the technology, and we've moved on so much from, you know, when that report was written back in the sort of 2008-9 and, and published in 2010, I mean, you can't compare the the, the um, technologies today and the, the price drops that have happened. So um, it, it really does come down to um, that political will and making it happen, which at the moment, you know, when we're getting documents like the or the proposals like the NEG come out, it um, it's not terribly in, encouraging because it's kind of, it would be almost be better to have nothing um, rather than what, what we've got here potentially. Um, but moving on to, from there, you've outlined a number of, of policy principles uh, in the report. So do you want to just kind of touch on some of those for our listeners? Well, look, I, I suppose probably the, the, the key policy principle that we would, would sort of point to is that, uh, that this recognition that we need you know, deep gas, uh, greenhouse gas uh, pollution cuts overall uh, taking us down towards one and a half to two degrees. And we, we still do not hear that uh, from this government. We hear sort of lip service, but we don't actually hear any uh, commitment to it at all. Um, and then you know, following on from that, obviously, one of our you know, main principles, because this is the neg that we were talking about, was that this recognition that uh, in the electricity sector, we can, it is possible for us to make 60% cuts by 2030, based on the uh, um, 2005 level baseline point. Um, we, we can actually do that. And, it's and pretty impressive because we're only talking now about, what, 12 years? Exactly. But the, the ability to change is really significant because so much of the coal-fired power station is, is coming out of the system. So there, there, there's something like, if we weren't talking about climate change and if the... Um, uh, generating companies were talking about just renewing generation, mm. they they wouldn't be faced with the quandary of do I do renewables or do I do fossil fuels. If you look back five years, then their equation broadly would have been it'd be about 25 billion to do um, the fossil fuel replacements 
and a lot more to do with renewable energy. Now it's on a par, and mm. in four or five years' time, it's going to be way cheaper to go the renewable energy route anyway. So there's a lot of investment to be made between now and 2030, and that's actually a huge opportunity. You know, mm. um, sort of, you know, why would you in, why would you invest in a, uh, <laughs> a, 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 a the old Bakelite dial telephones when you can now have an iPhone cheaper almost sort of thing? Um, so th- 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 it's an opportunity. The fact that these plants are getting so old they're beginning to become band-aided they're beginning to become seriously unreliable in hot weather where you can drop um you know a thousand megawatts off the system Mm. because something's overheated Um, why wouldn't you change now the possibility is there and they can change so uh it's an opportunity so that's one of the other key principles Uh, another one perhaps which i think is very very important is that We've seen the states and territories leading this debate. We've seen them um, put forward their, uh, you know, their aspirations of, of trying to get to net zero by 2050 or trying to get to 50% renewables by 2030, for example. Um, those should be taken as the high bar to which you go. Um, you know, so go for the, the highest common multiple. Don't go for the lowest common denominator. And effectively, what the federal government is saying is, look, average down to the lowest common denominator. That's not going to happen. So a real policy principle is go for the highest common multiple. You know, go for, you know, go for gold, if you like. We, we should be able to do this and should be able to do it quite well. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, that's the thing. It, it just makes sense. Um, we did a feature last year on um, Sunshine Coast Solar Farm, which the Sunshine Coast, Sunshine Coast Council um, has put into place and is now commissioned and operating. And look, there were some policy drivers around you know, climate action. But at the end of the day, that project happened and it's offsetting 100% of that council's energy use across all their different libraries, swimming pools, street lighting, everything, offices, depots. But it made sense from an economic point of view, and it's going to save ratepayers money. So you kind of look at all these different examples of of things like that, um, and it almost feels like you know we won't even need to be having this discussion. Hopefully, in two, three, four, five years, um, because the ridiculousness of a federal government proposing you know, propping up um, these coal-fired power stations when the operators themselves are seeing, as you say, it's kind of that decision where something has to happen. And if the economics of it stack up to go to renewables, which it more and more increasingly will and is, um, the argument kind of becomes redundant. But I suppose it's just a um, reminder of how powerful some of these, um, you know, lobbies and and bodies are that, that seem to have the ear of um, of the federal government. Yeah, look, it, it, it is um, it's very frustrating at times. But again, as I say, uh, I am actually an optimist in this because I think we have gone over the watershed from a commercial and mm. industrial point yeah. of view. Uh, and the smart money will go to renewables and storage and it will avoid, like the plague, um, you know, going into a new by power station, unless it's sort of under it totally by, by government. Um, and, and so I think we're over that watershed. So, you know, you could cynically say that uh, the NIG and the ESB is a government, a government that's got to be seen to be doing something. And then mm-hmm. if just the way the world is moving in terms of technology and prices, you know, starts delivering an outcome which is actually consistent with uh, reducing emissions at the rate we need to reduce it, then they'll claim the credit for it later anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it still would be so much better if the federal government showed some leadership and yeah. said, let's go for the highest common multiple, not go for the lowest common denominator. Yeah, exactly. Well, for our listeners that are um, out there and you know want to, I recommend that they read the report, which is available on your website for download. So if you just go to climatecouncil.org.au, I believe. Yes, that's correct. Yep, and just um, you'll see the the documents there, and there's a host of other um, great pieces of research that the Climate Council has put together. 
Um, so there's, um, you know, there's a lot of great reading there. But for someone out in um, our audience that's listening that, you know, is passionate about these issues, what do you think they should be doing in terms of, you know, calling their local um, representative or what kind of actions can they take to move the argument in the right direction? Look, I think, you know, for, for folks who um, have been, you know, working with, for and beside Beyond Zero Emissions for a long time now, I think it's doing very much um, of, of the same, working at the grassroots, working with the local councils, you know, working with the state governments. That, in the end, is where the pressure comes up. You know, let's face it, governments come and governments go and they come in different colours and sizes and shapes and so on like that. But keeping the pathway to where we need to go on the lips of everyone at local level, at state level, it will eventually get through to federal level. Um, that, I think, probably is the key thing. And then, of course, doing what you can do at your home, your family-owned business, your small business, whatever... Uh, just keeping that moving on. That is so critical. And to me, the the optimism I have is because people do get up in the morning and they don't just so, oh, say, oh, woe is me. It's, I've got a job to do. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think you're right. I, I think, the, you know, the economics of it just stack up in terms of renewables and every day we go forward, that becomes more and more the case. A, a bit of a travesty to see... Uh, you know, new coal, for instance, there'd be have to be a lot of justification to get that across the line, and and I'm sure it would have a lot of resistance. So we'll uh, look forward to a future that's um, clean and renewable, and um, battery storage prices are coming down rapidly, and there is a lot to be excited about in the in the not too distant future. So we thanks for your comments, and uh, it's great to see that uh, there are alternatives, and it's well laid out in that report, so I'd encourage listeners to have a look at that. So thanks, Greg, great. and we appreciate talking with you today. Okay, thanks, Aaron, and uh, do go to the website. Uh, I think it's quite a good report. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. So that was Greg Bourne from the Climate Council talking about their latest piece of research, Clean and Reliable Power, Roadmap to a Renewable Future, which is really a response to the National Energy Guarantee, which is the federal government's attempt to put a um, federal policy in place. Uh, Yeah. So I hope you enjoyed that. A couple of different perspectives there, um, although much along the same lines from Community Power Agency and Nikki Eisen and Greg Bourne from the Climate Council. Just got a couple of announcements before we wrap up for the evening. Uh, Beyond Zero Emissions are having an open house. Uh, Beyond Zero Emissions have moved location, are actually in Ross House now, which is 247 Flinders Lane, Melbourne. And on Wednesday, the 14th of March, from 2 till 4, you can go in, meet the staff members and um, different volunteers who are in the head office there. Just go to the BZD website, bze.org.au, and you can register um, just so that they can, I think there's a little bit of cup of tea and that type of thing, so they can make sure that they can cover you. The other thing for BZD... um, volunteers bzd is having a stall at the mary creek primary school that is on saturday the 24th of march Um, so be sure to if you're in that area get along Um, contact sylvia in the office on 0394151301 if you can help man that stall for the mary creek primary school fate on Saturday the 24th of March. The other thing I just want to encourage listeners to do if they haven't already done so, um, there was a very interesting uh, Four Corners um, last Monday. Um, I did tweet about it and um, after the BZE discussion group that I was at, but it's a great episode looking at a lot of um, different factors, uh, rising sea level, extreme weather events, um, company directors starting to really 
understand that there's um, some pretty big issues around taking responsibility around climate change and um, so I would encourage you to have a look at that. It's on ABC iView, Four Corners from last week. So I think we're about out of time. It's been great to be back um, on the radio with you today. I'll be with you again next week. And my name's Erin Jones, and this has been the Beyond Zero Emissions radio show. Look forward to talking with you next week. Beyond Zero Emissions is a not-for-profit research and education organisation. We design blueprints for a zero emissions economy. As climate change action becomes an emergency, leaders will use these well-researched plans that show a transition is possible from a 19th century fossil fuel-based economy with its climate-changing emissions to a zero emissions 21st century. Check out our website for reports on zero emissions energy, Zero Emissions Exports and Industry, Zero Emissions Transport, Zero Emissions Buildings and Zero Emissions Land Use. Podcasts of our shows contain a who's who of community action and climate solutions. They're all available on the web at bze.org.au. We'd love your ideas for this show, so contact us at radioteam at bze.org.au. Or even write to us, care of Radio 3CR, 21 Smith Street, Fitzroy, Victoria.